Hi, I'm Courtney Brown at Emory University. Welcome to my class in science fiction and politics. Today we are discussing Philip K. Dick's book, Ubik. All right, now, this is our first day discussing this. Uh, what did you think of this book? This is a very unusual book, and it's the most difficult book from a perspective of this course. This is why I put it at the end, because it's a little bit hard to think of what the political themes might be. Why put it in a course in political science, science fiction and politics? But it's perhaps one of the most profound books at the same time. So what's first of all, what's going on in the book? Well, um, actually, at first I didn't know what to think about the book. Because for about half of the book, I wasn't even sure what was going on. Because every time that I kind of figured it out, the time periods would switch or something like that. So it was really hard for me to get my footing. But um, basically, there are or there's this um, organization who tries to counter a psi talent. No. Yeah, yeah, psychic, psi, 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 or psychic talent, yeah. Psychic talent, and um, they go to this moon base in order to kind of help this client who winds up to be their enemy, Hollis. And then we kind of get like into this like limbo where we're not sure who's alive, who's dead, and the past kind or and current society uh, keeps on reverting to a time in the past. Mm -hmm. So. That's my best summary for a book that for half of it, you know, just is completely confounding. Doesn't make any sense? No, and that's the point. But actually, it does make sense. But it, you have to actually it, it you twists your mind around. It makes sense yeah, at the like, end. Yeah, yeah. You, once you make it to the end of the novel, everything prior to it kind of starts falling in place. Right. Okay, so there's a company, and the company Hollis is something. Well, that's their competing well, company. Yeah, they're competing oh, with Hollis. Like right. Runs sort of runs the, 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 the original uh, company. Prudence organization. Yeah, and right. they are trying to... Uh, what does that company do? They eavesdrop. Well, well which one? Oh. I mean, they don't eavesdrop, per se. Um, so the way it works is um, anti-psi talents create anti-psi fields. Mm -hmm which, when in combination with psi fields, neutralizes the psi fields. So it's kind of like the anti-spies, in a way. Right, I was, I was still stuck on Hollis. Okay, uh, yeah. Well, and, like, Hollis are the spies, because, like, they use their talents to control and manipulate people that they want to manipulate. Right. So the companies who are being manipulated hire, hire the prudent organization, correct? All right. Okay, so there are telepaths, and the telepaths can connect with and spy on other companies, what they're doing. Okay, now, these telepaths are a threat to people who have information. Now, why would they be a threat to people who have information? Like a company. Well, more important is the simple fact that if another company is in competition, they could hire one of these telepaths, put them in as a mole or a spy in another organization, and then make it easy to gain information just by being there because they could 
you know, eavesdrop on, in a sense on the information that's being passed around by the employees of the competing company. So it's basically mm -hmm. high-tech corporate espionage. Yeah. So it's a form of espionage, and people have to be concerned about that. Um, what does that have? Telepathic espionage. What does that have to do with politics? I mean, there's a lot of the stuff in the book that has to do with politics, but let's take it apart one at a time. Why did I assign the book? What, why is that a concern about politics? I mean, it's, a, it's a power struggle. So, like, people that have the information know how to manipulate the information are in charge. So if someone else can kind of usurp the information, then they have the upper ground. Mm-hmm, that's true. What else? How does that relate to us? Leave aside the issue of telepaths. What about the issue of secrecy? Well, it's just the idea that the people in power are the ones who hold the knowledge, the, the information that, by all rights, that we should be able to, to know, to judge how we go about our daily lives. And he's just making a point in this book that in the future or now, really, in our past, since it's based in 1992, um, you know, it's easier to get this information for information to to flow downhill, if you will, so that, you know, even though it's not so much that an individual person is in control of as much knowledge, he has the ability to gain that knowledge. So in today's world, where all the people in power have this knowledge that they're not giving to us, it's just a way of showing that we should be able to uh, to understand what's going up in a higher hierarchy. Uh, actually, is is Philip K. Dick saying we should? I would. I'll put forward the counter argument. It's like the the protagonists are all about, like, like um, the reaction against the, um, like, the psi abilities. So it's more like, we, like, he wants to counter, it seems to me, the free flow of information. But. So you think Philip K. Dick wants to counter the free flow of information? He wants to kind of create normal, or, I mean, just based on reading of the book, I kind of thought that he was kind of, um, he wanted the status quo, because it seemed as though, like, like um, he was talking about countering those that have the powers, kind of going back to the normals. And normal to me is the status quo, so... What is the status quo? What everyone's doing right now. What are we doing now? <laughs> it's our habits and behaviors that we don't want to change. All well, what are those habits and behaviors right. that we don't want to change that Philip K. Dick is addressing? Being all right with where we are. Well, what is where we are? What are we doing physically that Philip K. Dick is addressing in this novel? Let's focus on the issue of secrecy. Telepaths could invade secrecy. So what would be Philip K. Dick's comment about secrecy. What about what is he talking about on that? There's many things in this novel, but what about secrecy? Well, that's something that um, 
was a big issue uh, when the book was published um, was like the individual's right to privacy uh, and like upholding the constitution like uh, freedom from um, improper searches and things like that because like the whole Cold War atmosphere was paranoia and fear of like the other. All right, and but so, you know, you know, this book has been optioned uh, for a movie and. I hope they actually do it, but they're supposed to go into production this year. So, is that going to be a movie just about stuff that happened back in the 1960s and 70s? You you didn't exactly give me a chance to finish. Oh, okay. No, I I take it back. Uh, Go right ahead. Just kidding. No, go right ahead. Take it away. So, with like the recent um, thing about uh, wiretapping without a warrant, um, and uh, in the name of national security, is it okay to throw out personal privacy as a sacrifice for the greater good? Um, and that's an issue that uh, seems at this point not to have a right answer, but um, America has gone back and forth on it. And now that we have uh, a Democrat in the White House, people thought maybe that was going to change. But in a lot of ways, those policies aren't going to change because there's still that fear. um, And that's driving the protection of the greater good. Hmm. Fear of what? Of the unknown. Of the unknown? Well, the... Wow. Let's see if I can say this. I mean, so... Who's afraid, and what are they afraid of? Well, all right, like in our current society, we're like uh, still afraid, like of attacks from terrorists, the people that want to do uh, America harm. But like, although they're a known threat, we don't know how they're going to strike. So based on that, like, I mean, it's still this: we're afraid of things that we can't predict, and because of that, we try to use every tool imaginable, screening wiretaps in order to get get the advantage. All right. So do you think that Philip K. Dick then is talking about privacy? Is that the big issue that's going on in the in the novel? Personal, individual privacy. Now, what are the two main competing groups? They're companies, right? Mm-hmm. You have... Hollis's Corporation, which deals mostly with uh, the psi abilities, precognition, telepathy, um, and then PAD. Runciter's Corporation. And then Runciter deals with, um, he calls it a prudence organization, but basically uh, counteracting Hollis's abilities. So there's anti-telepaths and anti-precogs. Right. Um, and basically, they're just in constant competition with each other um, so far as the Prudence Organization trying to undo what the Hollis's organization does. Something I found kind of interesting is that um, although obviously both um, organizations kind of have their uh, shady business, like they're both legitimate. Like the world knows what Hollis does and the world knows what Renserter does. So Interesting. All right. Let's get back to the issue of secrecy. Why did I sign the novel? What does it have to do with our society? Now, we've already mentioned, Stephen, they already mentioned individual privacy. But here we have companies. 
Are we really, and is, is the book really about individual privacy? In a way, sort of it is, yeah, but what else? Uh, so, uh, sorry. What, who has an idea? Come on, what's going on here? Think about us, our society. Don't think about the book now. Secrecy, our society. Isn't this just based on fear? Like, in my opinion, fear. our society is based on fear currently. Everything we do is for the fear of the unknown. Or the known. Can you say more about that? I mean, we, we can't predict the future. And because of this, we're kind of aiming towards... Wow, how to, how to put this? It's We spy in order to try to understand what's going to be happening because we're afraid of what could happen in the future. So everything is kind of this like stopgap against things that we can't predict. Okay, so fear of the future. Why then secrecy? Where does secrecy come in? Well, it's almost in a sense if you keep what you're forecasting as the future secret, um, no one has the opportunity to become hysteric before it arrives. So, so secrecy, this is an important point. Secrecy then, from your point of view, is to prevent hysteria. Well, hysteria might be a little far, but an overreaction. An overreaction. Right. So instead of... Okay, then who's, con who's doing the secrecy and who's doing the overreacting? Just as a standard example, the government is being secretive, it's being selective in what information is being released in such a way that the people cannot overreact to what they deem sensitive knowledge. Okay, how much does this go on where the government holds secrets? A lot. Well, we won't really no, know because yeah. it's a secret. Well, ah, you don't know. <laughs> but it's not <laughs> an interesting thing. You don't know. I mean, if, what good would this secret be if it wasn't a secret? Go well, ahead. Plus, like, although it's definitely against hysteria, it's also the um, opposition. Your enemy, let's say, will also be trying to figure out information from you. So, so if you, like, are pretty transparent about what's going on, your enemy, opposition, whatever, will also know. So it's both self-preservation in terms of enemy and your own citizens or groups. Well, let's look at where we have secrecy. Where do we have secrecy in our society? FBI. Let's make some examples. Military. Courtney, military go ahead. Plans. What's that? Military plans. Military plans, yes. Military plans. You don't want to let the enemy know what you're gonna, who you're going to attack next or something like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Where else do we have secrecy? Foreign policy, you can have gentlemen's agreements, various things like that, where, you know, it's not something that's publicized, but it's something that's understood between mm. two different uh, nations or countries. Foreign policy discussions can have some secrecy, all right? Business, big corporations. Big corporations, what kind of secrets? I mean, um, what products they're developing, how they're spending their money... That kind of thing. Products they're developing. Corporate secrets. Right. Hmm. What else? Go ahead. Um, bureaucratic secrets. Um, like any bureaucratic agencies have secrets. Like 
through the Patriot Act, Patriot Act, like Homeland Security, you can like, um, listen to people's phone conversations. Oh, bureaucratic agencies uh, that can even tap phones and things like that. Mm-hmm. Supposedly with a court order, but we found often that doesn't happen. Well, let's let's talk about companies. There's a lot of scandal going on right now in the financial world. We're headed. People are trying to stave off what they consider the biggest depression since the big one since the Great Depression. They're trying to hold that off, um, hoping it just turns out to be a long recession rather than a big depression. Um, what's going on there with regard to secrecy in the corporate world? Let's talk about the banks. All right, mm-hmm. Banks. What's going on there? It's really difficult when you try to ask them how they're spending their money. Well, that's one good thing. How to spend the money. What money? Federal money. The bailout money. Okay, how they're spending the money. I mean, a lot of money was given to AIG, and then it found out that AIG just shuffled it or funneled it to a whole bunch of other companies, and those companies then didn't have to go and get bailout money because they got it indirectly through AIG. That's like someone paying for an insurance claim that's like a company paying for an insurance claim before the insurance, the, the person who's had the damage, files for a claim. That's like saying, my house is going to burn down, so why don't you give me the money now? And the house is not yet burned down. That's essentially what happened. The IEG, so, the, so again, we talk about secrecy, and when the secrecy, when the, when it came out, it was uh, not something that it was so. Happy among the people that heard it. Okay, Courtney, you see. That's very ironic because, like, if you get a loan from a bank, they directly want to know how you're going to spend the money and look over how you look. Um, you're spending the money when the federal government gives them money. They're like, why? Yeah, yeah, normally when you get a loan from a bank, you have to tell exactly what that money is going to be spent for. And they actually, if they have to issue a check to somebody you're going to have to pay, they make they issue the check to make sure the money actually goes there. They just don't give you the money and say, here, spend it however you want. I mean, that would be something like someone could say, I need a few hundred thousand dollars to buy a house. They don't just give you the check and say, okay, go buy the house. They issue the check to make sure the house is purchased. Otherwise, someone would take the money and run and not buy the house. So that type of accountability is normally there, and it looks like it wasn't there. So secrecy for things like that. But what about solvency? What's the issue of secrecy with regard to solvency with the banks? You see, the big question is now, is the banks don't want to let you know who's bankrupt, who's solvent, who's who's solvent and who's not solvent. A whole bunch of banks are not solvent meaning their debts way outweigh their resources. They're insolvent. And they're trying to hold off letting you know how badly they're insolvent. And the trouble is that the banks themselves don't know which banks are insolvent. So that's why there's so much trouble with banks lending to banks, which normally happens, because they don't want to give their money to a bank that's insolvent. Are um, our T-bills still negative? Well, because I know, like, um, uh, 
a couple months ago, like for the first time, the a T bill trading was actually negative. So, so if you had T bills, actually had a negative value. So, hmm. what, is, what is a T bill? Treasury bill. People buy treasury bills, and uh, supposedly after a certain period of time, you get your money back with interest. Right. But instead, so let's say, like after a 10-year period, you'd actually wind up owing the government, which is a huge problem, because you're not going to be trading these bills if you're just going to owe them. Well, the issue there was that investing in corporations yeah. was going to lose your shirt. So people who were investing in T-bills at, a, at, a, at close to 0% interest were simply trying to hold on to as much money as they could. Mm-hmm so that their money simply wouldn't evaporate. So, secrecy. One of the things, I don't want to belabor the point of secrecy, but let me just point out, one of the things I'm trying to push right here is the idea that we run our society by secrecy. That is how we operate as humans. The Federal Reserve Bank doesn't let you know what its actual discussions are with regard to what interest rates it's going to be charging the so-called Fed rate that that it charges to banks who want to borrow from the Fed, which has an implication to, to uh, the prime rate and so on. The issue is that they keep this in secret. And later on, six weeks later, a redacted version of inner discussions goes on. When we have meetings, committee meetings in the Senate, in the House, they're often behind closed doors. When we have presidential meetings, they're often behind closed doors. When you have corporate meetings, they're behind closed doors. Meaning we operate at all levels on the level of secrecy in all of our organizations. People aren't invited to come into meetings of any type they want. At all levels of government and all levels of corporate organizations, Secrets are held. And the goal of the secrets is to be able to control the reaction of people that are around that could be involved. This gets back to the issue of hysteria. One of the arguments in favor of secrecy is it could cause hysteria if the information came out. But look, sometimes that is an argument that can be used ubiquitously. That hysteria could cause. And the reality is that sometimes people, most of the times, people are just trying to protect what they did. For example, the CIA has been accused of condoning terror in in the interrogation of suspects during the Bush administration. And there are a few memos written by lawyers in the CIA and. Uh, in support of the CIA in the Bush administration, where they defined the outlines of basically what could be done. And apparently some of those memos, legal memos, done by lawyers paid for by the government, define terror as almost anything short of killing somebody. And to this day, even the, the CIA is resisting tremendously to have those memos released, to have those papers released so people could see what would happen. So, the issue of secrecy, you have to say, is it really to prevent hysteria? Will people go hysterical if those memos come out? I mean, we already know that the CIA was torturing people. The issue is, who is being protected by those secrets? The CIA or the public? 
Okay? So the issue of secrecy is very broad scope. It's everywhere in our society. And I'm not even criticizing the CIA. Because what I'm saying is secrecy is everywhere in all of our businesses, in all of our dealings. Salaries at the university are determined through processes that are not publicly known. Individual salaries, one person's salaries versus another salaries. When you go into the only the only place where you really can know individual salaries is if you have a public job, a government job, where those, for example, if you go into the military, well, all those salary scales are set by the military. So when I was talking about the CIA, it may have sounded as if I was talking critically of the CIA, but I was not. I was simply using it as an example of something that is ubiquitous everywhere for our society. That people protect themselves by keeping information secret. We, What I'm trying to say is, as humans, we use secrecy as a modus operandi. It's what we do all the time with everything. From medical records, individual privacy, all the way up to how the governments operate, how corporations operate, Everything is, we are a society based on secrecy. We work with secrecy. And, Go ahead. Um, so you mentioned the word ubiquitous about three times. Yeah. And of course, uh, ubic comes from the word ubiquitous. So yeah. it it kind of also supports that point of of like everywhere. It, it permeates the novel. It's ubiquitous. Ubiquitous. It's, ubiquitous, it's yeah. It's ubic. So. Yeah. So, one of the things that you want to see in this novel is that Philip K. Dick is raising the issue of secrecy. He's raising it up to a high level. And he's also raising the issue of challenging secrecy, because that's what telepaths can do. They can go in and ferret out any secret. Now, for example, President Obama dropped in last week to where? Where did he drop in? A surprise visit to the troops. He was in Iraq, right? He just dropped in. Now, they didn't want people in Iraq to know in advance he was coming, just like when President Bush used to drop in. They didn't want to give opponents, uh, you know, a time to set up attacks. So, you know, boom, he was just there, and boom, he was gone. Secrecy. So sometimes you can say, well, that's really good. And anyone would agree, that's really good. In fact, you had to keep that secret. So on some levels, you can say, Secrecy is absolutely warranted and absolutely necessary. The question is not whether secrecy has useful effects. The question is what happens What happens in our world, in our society, if secrecy is challenged? If there is a way to get around secrecy? That's what Philip K. Dick is bringing up. This novel is fundamentally about a technological advance that is at one point in the future going to be inevitable. The dismantling of secrecy. The ability for people to get information at will. Eventually, it will happen. Why? Technological advances of all types. Scientific advances are of all types. The only thing that keeps secrecy is when one advances another advances to try to keep it. And that's what we have in the novel. You have the dismantling of secrecy with telepaths right. and Runciter's firm, right. which is 
a defense against the telepaths. So, so there is that struggle in society for getting information and defenses against getting that information. Go so, ahead. Um, so if it like kind of balances itself, then why is it inevitable that kind of security will go away if the other side will just like... Well, that's a good point. That might be considered highly controversial. Why don't you argue that? How many people think that it might be inevitable, and how many people think it wouldn't be inevitable? Well, like that's one of the things that um, the Cold War was really all about was escalation technologically. So um, each side used spy planes, and then Russia set up Sputnik, and we had no idea what it did. Um, and so there's all of a sudden this feeling that people could be watching us from outer space and see our every move, which now is actually pretty technologically accurate. Um, so if you're looking at it from that standpoint, things that allow us to gain information covertly are going to keep getting developed. And one of those avenues eventually could be development of you know, a human ability to do that. You know, because we train spies uh, to have those talents to gain information. But won't the other side always counter that? So, like, so, yes, I agree there's going to be technological advance, but if you have both sides advancing equally, they kind of cancel each other out, kind of like the psi fields and the anti-psi fields. We always have to assume that they're advancing equally. Like, there's not necessarily that truth. Like, this was a human ability, and they kept, what was... Uh, the Molipone, or... They're talking about, like, the cheap side person? Yeah. Yeah. At some point, I mean, y'all keep going at the same pace, right. and then, as you've made a point many times, there will be one step, and then someone will make that giant mm-hmm. leap. And when that happens, the other one will be so far behind right. that they can't catch up. But I guess my point is, though, like, I mean, it's like a pendulum. Yes, one side might like have a great like a general or leader at one point, but then as time goes on, the other side will have that too. So I'm not saying that at one point, like of the pendulum, that there won't be um, like a lack of equilibrium, but at some point, equilibrium will be reached again. But even if their abilities are equal, they're not necessarily going to be in the same place at the same time, and right. there's still the competition, which is why Hollis tried to kill them. Right. So it, even if they are equal, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're ineffective, you know. Right. That At one point in time, I guess I'm thinking more kind of like broad in terms of like how it will develop instead of at a certain. Let's think about an example. China. For a while, China was being taken by storm by the Internet age. And Bill Clinton said, so they want to defend themselves against it? Let them try. What was he talking about? Freedom of information. Freedom of information. How? I mean, no. Do you guys want? Well, the government had very strict social controls for so long, and then all of a sudden there was a way to move information quickly. How? uh, Because everyone was connected all of a sudden. Connected the internet. Yes. That's what Bill Clinton was talking about. Let the Chinese try to defend themselves against the Internet. What did the Chinese try to do? Did they just let the barrage of information flow in and out? What did they try to do? Firewalls and censors. Firewalls, blocking websites, making agreements between certain companies like Google and others, you know, about what kind of search results would be allowed in the country. So 
the attempt to control the information? Has it been totally successful? No, but it's been somewhat successful. So you have a battle going back and forth between information getting out and information getting in and the blocking of the information. So secrecy is a huge issue with this novel. All right. Now, if you have secrecy, then fundamentally, if you have secrecy and an attempt to get information also, isn't there doubt? Isn't there always doubt? Like false information? Yeah, what do you really know? Uh, I thought that was one of the coolest parts of the book, um, was uh, Zoe Wirt, uh, the woman who is uh, hired by the supposed client in the beginning of the novel, because they, um, the anti-telepaths uh, like look her over and make sure that she said, is who she says she is, and she... Um, really truly believes that she is working for uh, the big investment guy. Mick Stanton. Yeah, Mick Stanton. And uh, so when um, they go up to Luna and the uh, trap is sprung, she's nowhere to be found, but up until the very end, she really believed that she had been hired by Mick Stanton to do this project. Um, And so I thought that was kind of interesting how they had used her uh, and set up screens so that she would never know who she was working for, so that she was an effective lure to get um, the prudence organization and to do that. even to take that a step farther, throughout the novel, after that, and they discover that they themselves are actually suspended in half-life, um, they all assume that Pat is the, uh, the bad guy, if you will. And Pat assumes that she's the bad guy. And then they all find out at the very end that that is, in fact, not true. And that there's someone who's actually controlling the scenes behind them. Right, but that wasn't foreseen. Okay, so they go to Luna in order to try to put a telepathic defense or a defense against telepaths for this company's investment up there. Bomb blows up. What happens next? They rush back to Earth to, to put Runciter into Half-Life. They rush back to Earth to find to put Runciter back in Half-Life. Okay. So, secrecy led to an ambush. Okay. And then they're rushing, rushing back to Earth. And then what happens once Runciter, once they rush, and they're rushed back to Earth? What, what happens once they rush back to Earth? What do they discover? It actually was already mentioned. That... They, in fact, are the ones who get rushed back to Earth and put in the half-life, not Rutsiger. Yeah, that well, did, right. No, go, no. Well, right, but what first happens is this confusion because, like, the world of 1992 world slowly regresses back to the world of, what is it, 1939? 1930? Yeah, the world starts regressing. Meaning, when they first go back to Earth, things seem like they're just coming back to Earth. Right. But then there are things that happen. Clues. Now, isn't that the nature of secrecy? You get clues. When a a secret breaks, how often do you actually have someone just saying, oh, by the way, everybody sit down, i got some secrets to tell you, and just sort of spell it out? It's often in pieces. 
What happens? What is the way secrecy breaks? <coughs> like Watergate? <laughs> Watergate's a great example. Give me the example. Go ahead. Spell All right. it. Well, so you kind of had like um, leakages from a source deep throughout that something's going... But sorry, so first it was the, uh, the break-in um, at the Watergate, and then after that you get small kind of, you know, look into this, look into this, look into this. So the break-in at Watergate itself was supposed to be a secret. Right. That didn't work out. There was evidences, and the the guards at the place sort of said, this is sort of odd, and then they followed the leads, and then they found the plumbers, the guys Mm -hmm. who were operating to plant mics and things like that. All right, go ahead. And then there was the other secret of of, uh, the revelations afterwards. Right. That took an awful long time to finally get out. And we did, in fact, rely on one one person. The country, Woodward and Bernstein, relied essentially on one person to give them fundamental information about what was going on. So there had to be a source. There had to be a source where the secrecy was sort of crumble. So there were clues. And did the information coming from Deep Throat just spell out everything? Did he just say, okay, this is what's going on? No. How did he give the information? He just nudged them in the right direction right. to go pursue it on their own and yeah. talk to this person. Well, right. So. But because if he didn't do that, then his presence would have been known, and then his kind of importance to the investigation would have been gone. Same thing with when a Runciter was Actually, you also thought he would be killed. I Go mean, ahead. That happens, but, <laughs> you know, it's kind of like when uh, Rensinger was going against um, uh, the the thing. I forgot what his name is. Okay, well, anyway, when he was going against the opposition, oh. um, he was afraid of kind of, like, making his mark too well-known because then the opposition could have gone against him. So, yeah, well, actually... So something about Watergate is now like there's like um, there's audio that Nixon actually knew who the leak was. They just didn't want to kind of attack it too vigorously because then the media would have had more attention onto that figure, and the story would have leaked further. So it was kind of the cyclical. But there was this information that was coming out. It wasn't just open. This is all the stuff that's going on. But it were hints, nudges, as you said. Go in this direction, look at this, look at that. Leads being told to Woodward and Bernstein to, to, that they then had to follow through. Now, the editor of the Washington Post had a policy also that they had to follow, which is the publisher had a policy also they had to follow, which was everything that they were getting had to be confirmed by something else, meaning they had to get two sources for everything. So following through these nudges, these hints, these leaks, was an arduous task. So that's the issue with secrecy. When you get secrecy sort of ending, it doesn't happen because somebody just comes out and gives it to you, ends the secrecy with an open speech. It comes out in pieces. It's like a crossword puzzle that's jumbled, and no one can understand the meaning of the crossword puzzle that it's jumbled. But then you slowly put pieces together, and you offer the pieces. That's how secrecy falls apart, through the pieces, and they're eventually sifted through. So, you see, 
secrecy, there's investigations going on now with the former governor of Illinois, uh, Blagojevich, who has been, well, he's going to be facing a trial on uh, corruption charges. And uh, now there's a big investigation about whether Jesse Jackson Jr. or people that might have been associated with him were trying to negotiate with Blagojevich. And there's no you know, public evidence one way or the other, whether it's true or not. The issue is that there's things that are people that people have, that information that they have that they're trying to hold secret. One of the contacts that supposedly, allegedly, offered to intervene to get money for Blagojevich if he gave them the uh, Senate seat to Jesse Jackson Jr., was apparently somebody who was a financial person associated with or, or who had supported Jesse Jackson in the, in the past, Jesse Jackson Jr. in the past. And apparently, according to the New York Times today, he wants to testify, but he's negotiating for immunity. Again, secrecy. Meaning, I have information that is currently secret, you need it, I won't give it to you unless you give me immunity. Do you get the issue? Secrecy. And how do we find out? Piecemeal. Piecemeal. Bit by bit. And so, one of the things that Philip K. Dick is doing is showing that when you have a situation of secrecy, which is what the novel is really fundamentally about, secrecy, the real problem that occurs is you don't know what's really happening. You don't know what's happening. And when you start to unravel secrecy, it comes out in pieces, little bits and pieces, hints. Until finally, they just—they find. When do they finally make a realization that they, that they themselves are the ones who were killed and put in half life? When do they finally realize? When they're told. Pardon me. When they're told. Go ahead. Um, wasn't it when Runster uh, speaks to him through the commercial that uh, not Al. Um, Joe. Joe finally finds out that they're in Half-Life. Basically, him and Al are back at the their headquarters, and Al's really tired, and he goes and he puts himself in the bathroom, and he basically says, go ahead, I'll kind of meet up with you later. And he walks into the main room, and then there on TV is a commercial for Ubik, and it's Runsitter sitting there talking through it saying, this is kind of what's happening. And it almost had to be spelled out before they even really found out that they themselves were in Half-Life. Mm. They still didn't believe it. Like That wasn't the point where Joe was like, oh, obviously we right. are. Uh, the point where he accepts that is in the hotel room with the conversation with Runsitter there. All right. Because he says, oh... So the writing on the bathroom wall and the commercial were both true because you're here telling it to me now. Right. Like he had thought like maybe, but he couldn't put it together until Runster told him. That all deals with the issue of perception uh, because like Joe was seeing and touching the world. So, so like it was revealed to him. And because of that, you have a really hard time like thinking you're being deceived because you're going to trust your own senses over other things, so. That's a good point. So, how far along in the devolution of the society back to the 1930s had it gone 
before they realized. All the way. All the way. You see, sometimes, what things that Phil K. Dick is saying is sometimes people don't face the reality that they really don't understand the situation until how would you what would what what would what conclusion would you draw from Philip K. Dix by by the fact that they had to go all the way back until, until it's basically too late it's, well it, it was too late as soon as the bomb blew off right until what at what point do people realize that they faced a reality that what they had thought was not real when there's no other options explain when it. everything collapses when it's totally and now let's look at the Watergate situation that was a great example at what point did the opposition cave in meaning at what point did the Nixon support people and the defense for Nixon leading to the resignation the impeachment the whole thing at what point did that happen in the whole process. History buffs? Any history buffs? You know? I I mean I can I can speculate. Yes, yeah, I can yeah. speculate. It's when like every excuse given by the administration wound wound up to be false. It's kinda like like you can mm-hmm. like X out all the alternatives. So let's say you have like ten ideas. And when you finally realize that the stuff the administration's giving you isn't true, you only have one idea left. Yeah. And that's now, in the nature of secrecy, that means that when things start to unravel, a few people start looking at the clues and saying, ah, this is what's going on. Paul Krugman in the New York Times, the opinion columnist, was like that with the financial scandal. Years ago, he said... This is very bad. These banks are insolvent. They're hiding something. There's a huge housing bubble. And as soon as the collapse actually happened, he was given a Nobel Prize. A few people put the things together. But everybody else, well, not everybody else, but the vast majority of everybody, don't believe it until it actually happens. Now, this financial scandal had been, there had been evidence going on for a very long time. And it just happened. People seemed to be taken completely by surprise by all the secrecy that was going on. Well, the issue here is that... Go ahead. Well, I don't know if you can really say in that situation that it was secrecy. I mean, they could have been that they were just complacent and that they were kind of ignorant slash not really looking at the clues that were blatantly obvious. And so, in that situation, for the financial, I don't really agree that you can say, yeah, it was secrecy, that they were hiding away all this, that it didn't just, that it just happened out of secrecy. Well, let me give some background. Bernanke and Paulson, the head of the Fed and the Treasury, were apparently in meetings going back months in 2008, going way back, where they had been saying, this looks really scary. 
but that didn't really come to the surface. Apparently, they had been given some warnings. They had been looking at things. They'd been there was all types of hints that came out after the fact that they in fact knew things were really, really, really shaky. That it wasn't just Paul Krugman who was talking about it. But when you think about people trying to protect their assets, people trying to protect their assets, where they would put their money, that, to the very end, took everybody by surprise. That's precisely why we're in such a huge economic crisis right now. People didn't know. The Madoff people. People, the Bernie Madoff, the guy who lost $50 billion one day. Ponzi scheme. Pardon me? The Ponzi scheme. The Ponzi scheme. I mean, secrecy. It was work. It was a total work of secrecy. And everybody who was caught in it, which was everybody who invested, was totally caught by surprise. So there was a lot of secrecy. Now, I understand what you're saying, that there was complacency. And that's a really good point. There is complacency. That's part of the reason why secrecy maintains itself. There are a few people who are clarion calls saying something's amiss. But always with secrecy, there is a level of complacency. Ah, it won't really matter. We can just let it go. Because to fight it takes real courage and you have to literally do a Woodward and Bernstein type of operation in order to try to get through the information. And then to have... So a lot of people have information that has been... That is, that is secret. However, they can't publicize that information. They can't do anything with that information. Woodward and Bernstein were different because they were writers for the Washington Post. So when they got the information, they published it and it became well known. So the complacency issue is a big one. Not every, for example, let us say you were in, you were in, uh, you knew some information that was otherwise highly secret. What would you do with it? What do you do? Shout it? Just go screaming down the down the into the quad and sort of say, "This is true. This is true." First of all, what would happen? Most people would say, "I don't believe you." They call you deluded. Most want to put yourself in danger, depending on what the information is. Depending yeah, on I, what the information is. When was it? His reprisal. The CIA. Somebody leaked information from the CIA and they got put on trial for it. You're talking about like the uh, now. That's happened. That's happened more than once. Yeah. But but what I'm saying is, when this information, this secretive information, is released, it's right. not something that just goes, you know, okay, it, we didn't want yeah. it to get out. You get punished for it. It's you get punished for it. The whistleblowers. Right. The whistleblowers get punished, and occasionally they try to pass laws to protect whistleblowers. Right. But typically, what happens is whistleblowers get punished. I mean, terribly punished. Right. Well, and then um, I'm having there also been cases where. Reporters have been sent to jail because they refuse to reveal their source, even Absolutely. to like the Senate. So. Absolutely. Reporters have been sent to jail many times right. because they refuse to reveal their sources. Most states, almost all states, have reporter protections. But it's not a federal. Right. It's not a federal thing. So if a grand jury, a federal grand jury, uh, brings a reporter in and says, you're required to give us your information, that reporter can and has, in many instances, been sent to jail. So that's, uh, uh, you know, that's 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 an issue. Sometimes Congress worries about protecting the sources of reporters. So, on. all right. So what we have is that secrecy, when it's there in society, is maintained partially because of complacency. Good point. But it doesn't really end until. 
everything falls apart. It has to be a complete collapse of the secrecy order until everything falls apart. And that's what Ubik is focusing on in a very real sense. It doesn't happen until, until the people have regressed in a society back into the 1930s when everything has fallen apart, where they finally realize we're dead. So part of the issue of not knowing is crucial here. It doesn't, they don't, because of complacency in some way, they don't really look at the facts dead on the way Paul Krugman looked at the facts dead on early on and came to the conclusion. They held off, they held off, they held off. One clue after the next, after the next. All right, now, what happens then when secrecy ends and they realize they're dead? Is that the end of it? Is that the end of the novel? Are you talking about the final two pages? Well, what about the final two pages? Well, so we were operating on the idea that Rusader, however you say his name, was was alive and well. And then all of a sudden, he takes a coin out of his pocket to tip the attendant, and he realizes that the face of Joe Chip is on there. And that's what happened with Joe and and his friends, is that he had a coin with Runciter on it earlier on. So you realize yeah. this is kind of a loop where this has possibly all been in the head of Runciter the entire time, and he's actually the one that's in stasis pod reverting. And then it completely changes your opinion of the entire novel, and you're disoriented again. That is one of the big things about Philip K. Dick. He disorients you. And one of the things about it, the faces on the coins... Joe Chip seeing Rensiter's face, then Rensiter seeing Joe's Chip face later. Who's actually dead? So, when everything collapses, the Watergate incident is over. Nixon resigns. These, this, you know, the, 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 all the information seems out. What is Philip K. Dick saying then? That not all the information's out. That you might have uncovered right. a, a portion of it, maybe even a large portion of the information, but there's no way that you're going to be able to undo what we've been doing for so long. So it's just making an observation that while you might be able to garner the information you were looking for, what you were expecting to find but not sure was there, there's other information that is still connected right. that you weren't looking for that's still hidden. And in terms of like, Watergate, all that happened like uh, 30 some years ago, like Nixon tapes and files like from that era are still being released. Like I believe that like more tapes were released like last year, and so and the, in fact the identity of Deep Throat was right. just recently. Yeah. And so like and because of that, like every time you release something else, you have to go back and say, well, what we thought originally is that actually true? There was so. a long time people thought Deep Throat was Alexander Haig for a while, and it right. turned out to be. Go ahead, right? He wasn't, but go ahead. So, I mean, like, so the assumptions of, like, previous eras are always kind of gone through and changed. So, yeah, that's just kind of my point on that. So when you actually end, and they finally realize you're dead, There's no ending. <laughs> you're back at the beginning. There's still secrecy. Runciter sees Joe's chip's face. Right. Meaning, when you have a society in secrecy that develops itself, that runs itself by secrecy, does it ever, ever end? No. And that's really frustrating. 
Okay, now what we haven't gotten to, we're getting sort of to the end of the time, but what we haven't gotten to is what does that imply about our society? And what state does that leave us in? What, what condition are we in? Think about this. What condition are we in as a society? What Philip K. Dick is saying, apparently, is that we operate in a state where secrecy is pervasive, ubiquitous. Actually, the only way to conquer secrecy is through knowledge, which is ubiquitous, which is everywhere. So, That's the say, nature of ubiq. Are you saying that we live in a state of illusion, and and so no matter how much we like, like pull away like the drapery, there's still going to be more drapery. It's a constant battle. It's a constant battle. The battle of secrecy and ubiquitous knowledge. The antidote for that is a constant battle. But the interesting thing is you haven't covered what what state that puts us in. What condition does that put us in? Hannah Arendt wrote a book, The Human Condition. Well, in that book, she made reference to the cave allegory of Plato. <laughs> the cave allegory of Plato. Who knows anything about that? Go ahead. Who has enough? Go ahead, Ed. Go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. Um, so, it's basically um, our perception of the world. So, we're in a cave. And our perception of the world... Well, what actually the is the cave allegory? Let's say, not say we're in a cave, but what actually happens in the story? Do you remember? Yeah. Well, so, those shadow puppets... Yeah, you get so, the whole thing. So, um, our reality is watching the shadow of puppets in a cave. So we can't actually understand, like, we're not actually watching the puppets and we're not actually seeing outside the cave. We're seeing the shadow of the puppets. Okay, so basically, there's some people, you got, you've got it, you've got, you got, you got the idea. There are some people in a cave. I'm, I'm pushing it a little bit now because we're running out of time. There are some people in a cave and they're always forced to look against a wall and a light source is behind them. And so the only thing they ever see is shadows. And so the only thing they think think is that the shadows are real because that's what their perceptions have been. That is, that is the nature of their experience in life. Okay? Do you remember what happens next? Just, just the puppet thing that I might be skipping. The what? It's, well, I mean, it's the reality that the, the shadows they think are real are actually the shadows of puppets. What happens when someone is taken out of the cave and said, see what's happening here? You have, the light is really here. This is the real world. What you're looking at is just shadows. That wasn't real. What happens to that person? They're disoriented. Has trouble believing it. There's a situation in which secrecy leaves, secrecy leads to a state of conditioning, that the human condition is one in which we are conditioned to live within a state of secrecy. Now I want to get back to the very valuable comment of complacency. It is easier for humans to accept the, the, to accept the limited and confused information that they have that results from secrecy than it is for them to take the energy that's that is required when they are finally shown that they are in fact looking at shadows, they weren't looking at the real world, that the light source was coming from outside the cave. To take that and to take that information and then to seize it, to own that information and say, 
Oh my gosh. This was all a facade. This is all this is all not real. And then to walk out and then do it, do live life in the free. That's very hard for people to do. What in fact happens is people go back to the cave and say, "No, no, I just don't believe it. This is this is the real world. There's shadows." It's like the Matrix. It's like the Matrix, the movie. Mm-hmm. That's why the Matrix is so powerful. It addressed the issue of human nature. So, what Philip K. Dick is really driving home here is that secrecy is an issue not just with other people controlling information you you get access to, but it's you. That mm-hmm. you actually live in a realm of secrecy. That's you. And that you, that people in general, don't want to chase that information, don't want to break out of that. They'd rather stay in the cave looking at the shadows. Secrecy doesn't work if the people for whom information is being withheld or to whom information is being held, secrecy doesn't work if those people are motivated to know, to break the secrecy. Secrecy ends when the people for whom secrets are being kept, when those people want to know the information, it's almost impossible to keep those people in the dark. Secrecy works because of complacency within the populace. They don't mind it happening. There's a conditioning. That is the nature of the human condition. There's an acceptance to it. Now, in this novel, we have people struggling to know. But what does Philip K. Dick eventually say? What is, what is, what is his, his ultimate resolution? Even when you struggle to know, even though they were in a denial... Even though Joe Chip and his comrades were in a denial, going all the way back. Even though they struggle to know. What happens finally when they accept the reality that they had been all killed? Go ahead. It's not the real... I mean, I mean they find yeah. out that it's just not the real world right. anyway. It, they still don't know. And Runciter then doesn't know. Right. Meaning, in a nature, in a society in which secrecy is allowed, in a society in which secrecy is depended on by all levels, you never know. And we as the reader will never know. But there's one other thing. There's another thing. We haven't actually covered... There's something else we need to cover, and we'll cover on Thursday, that's hugely important that we haven't touched. But what is the state of society, ultimately, when this, whole, when this secrecy is going on? Is this a calm state of society? In flux. Well, in flux, yeah. Take it further. I mean, are, is is Joe Chip basking at the sun at the beach? Huh? No, he's confused. We he's don't know what. In turmoil, he's confused. Turmoil. I mean, we don't even know what he is. I mean, like at the end of the novel, we're not even sure if he is alive. If he's or dead. dead or if he's dead or alive. Chaos. What is Philip Gay Dick then saying about our existence? There's no order to it. What's that? There's no order to it. There's no order to it. He's saying, fundamentally, we live chaotic lives. And that secrecy is a fundamental component of it. We try to control our lives through secrecy. But in the reality, we're a total mess. (laughs) And that we may not be able to get out of it. 
It's a very profound novel. We'll cover the big one on Thursday. The big aspects on Thursday. See you then.